with that, please join me in welcoming uh, Dr. David Howell. Thank you, uh, Tristan, for that very kind uh, introduction. Thank you for plugging that article. I'm, um, I'm glad that somebody has read it. <laughs> okay, well, it's a great pleasure to be here uh, at UBC. Um, thank you all for coming um, on a very nice day. Um, so why don't I just get started? How green was my night soil? Thinking with excrement about 19th century Japan. So is excrement the answer? What's the question? So two questions, actually. Um, so I think there are two questions that are implicit in every talk, um, maybe not just in Japanese studies. I suppose if we were in Icelandic studies, uh, the same two questions might come up. But since this is a Japanese studies crowd, I'll, I'll continue my framing in, in terms of Japanese studies. First is, what's universal about your story? So what is it about the Japanese case that speaks to people who don't have any particular interest in Japan per se? And yes, yes, of course, but what's Japanese about your story? Uh, and if it's, it's not something particularly Japanese about it, isn't it just the same old, same old set in Japan for a change? And I think uh, any of us who's ever tried to think or talk about Japan, especially to uh, a crowd that's not... Uh, made up primarily of people who are interested in Japan, uh, have faced this, these questions uh, in some form. If it's too universal, then Japan just becomes a see, no, see also in the footnotes. Uh, or if it's too Japanese, then it's just a charming human interest story. Uh, I think there have been a few topics that have hit that sweet spot between universality and particularity. Um, feudalism, uh, which was discovered in Japan or was thought to have been discovered in Japan uh, in the early part of the 20th century, uh, and then later on uh, the theory of modernization, which was very popular for a while in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, were two cases of uh, big concepts that uh, were, uh, were in which the Japanese case was thought to teach uh, a lot to people who didn't have any particular interest in Japan per se. The um, sad thing for Japanese historians is that both feudalism and modernization have been totally repudiated, uh, and so that nobody cares about them anymore except as historical artifacts, and therefore no one looks to Japan uh, for universal truths about history. Which leads me, as a kind of uh, aspiring historian of sh shit, sorry, um, I did warn you, uh, about maybe uh, excrement could be the next big thing for everyone. Because, after all, everyone poops. And there's something 
uh, about the way that uh, people in Japan uh, have a special relationship uh, with shit, perhaps. And so let's see if uh, I hope my two questions are fair when thinking about the relationship between poop uh, and uh, history in Japan. So what I'd like to start out uh, by doing is, uh, because I am kind of an economic historian or a, a historian of economic life, I'd like to think of myself, uh, is to start by briefly describing the excremental economy in 19th century Japan. The excremental economy was definitely a market economy. Uh, and I'll mostly be talking about the city of Edo and Tokyo, uh, as Edo became after 1868. Uh, but what I say about Edo slash Tokyo is basically applicable to any major city in Japan uh, in the 19th and well into the 20th centuries, uh, as a matter of fact. Uh, so the city of Edo um, was founded in 1590 and grew very rapidly after that. Uh, by 1720, uh, there were a million people or more in the city. It was probably the biggest city in the world at the time. Uh, and as the city grew, with a million mouths to feed, uh, so too did farming uh, in the immediate hinter hinterland of the city. So you had a, a booming urban population and a rapidly growing agricultural uh, population in the areas near the city. And so if you have a million people, then of course you have a million people going to the bathroom, uh, which meant that human excrement, night soil, was uh, extremely plentiful. Uh, and it turns out to be an extremely effective fertilizer for precisely the kinds of vegetables and fruits that were valued by consumers in the city of Edo. Uh, so um, night soil excrement can be used as a fertilizer for all kinds of things, but Japanese farmers thought that it was part particularly efficacious for leafy vegetables uh, and fruits uh, and things like that uh, that uh, were best produced for uh, an urban market uh, uh, for uh, daily consumers. Uh, it was not used so much on rice or other grains of that sort. So uh, from probably in the 17th century, but we have documentary sources uh, that show that from the 18th century until well into the 20th century, night soil was a valuable commodity. Uh, basically, people pooped and uh, Farmers or brokers came and purchased uh, the contents of people's toilets uh, and then took it out into the countryside where it was either used or resold to consumers, uh, that is, farmers, who then used it as a fertilizer. Uh, one of the interesting things about the economic history of night soil in Japan is that it remained an important commodity throughout the 19th century without any real change uh, during the Meiji Restoration period. There was one kind of market blip that I'll talk about uh, in a little while, but basically people continued to poop, uh, brokers continued to take that poop out to the countryside, and farmers continued to, to use it to fertilize fields for vegetables. So in a way, um, a Meiji at 150 lecture series, there's no dramatic uh, turning point. But I think that that's Continuity is as important as change, so uh, there we go. Um, the real change uh, occurred not at the time of the major restoration, but rather uh, in, this, in the case of Tokyo around 1920 or so, right after World War I. By that time, the city had grown even larger, uh, pushing out into areas that had formerly been uh, farming villages. Uh, and basically, there was just too much poop, 
for the surrounding countryside uh, to easily absorb. It remained an important commodity, but it, now instead of farmers or that is consumers coming to buy uh, people's excrement, people had to pay to have their excrement hauled away. Um, and that change came very, very quickly. Uh, and people were shocked. You know, they'd been used to getting paid for this for all their lives, and then suddenly uh, they were being uh, pressed for payment. Uh, otherwise, the people would come would not uh, empty their toilets. But given the nature of the commodity, people um, accommodated themselves to that change very quickly, uh, because you don't want it piling up. Um, Night soil remained an important commodity until, um, it's hard to tell exactly when, but at least through the 1950s uh, in this area surrounding Tokyo, uh, and maybe later uh, in other parts of Japan. Not now, though. Um, during the late Tokugawa period, uh, in particular in the um, 1850s, 1860s, and then after the Meiji Restoration, uh, farmers saw access to night soil uh, as virtually a life or death issue. Um, they considered it to be the most important, the most efficacious fertilizer for the crops that they wanted to grow. Uh, and so the shogunate, uh, which of course was based uh, in Edo, uh, had to deal periodically with large-scale protests, um, usually um, over charges that uh, night soil brokers were um, not paying fair prices, uh, or were adulterating the contents of uh, night soil containers uh, in order to effectively raise prices um, so that there was a constant tension between the consumers of night soil and the men who bought and sold it. Um, the first big protest, and it was one of the largest peasant protests uh, in Japanese history up until that time, involving more than 1,000 villages, occurred in 1789. Uh, it's a very easy year to remember. Uh, in the history of protests. Uh, but the one that I want to mention uh, just briefly occurred in 1867 uh, on the eve, like almost literally the eve of the collapse of the Tokugawa regime, which had been ruling over Japan since uh, the beginning of the 17th century. Uh, by 1867, everybody knew that the Tokugawa shogunate was going to collapse. The bureaucrats working in Edo Castle certainly were keenly aware of it. Uh, and probably the peasants who were protesting were aware of it too, but they felt, as I said, because it was a, a life or death issue, uh, they thought that they had to protest. Uh, and basically their complaint was that uh, the night sale brokers had, uh, were charging the same price per unit, but they were making the units smaller. So instead of a, a, a five liter bucket, they, were, they had reduced, sneakily reduced uh, the size of the buckets to four liters, but were charging the same price for it, effectively raising the price. Or they were adding river water to the contents of the night soil buckets uh, to water the material down and thereby fill up more buckets. Uh, and watery poop is not nearly as good as nice, um, not too watery poop. Uh, and so uh, the latter scheme made it even worse because people would pay and then found that they couldn't use uh, the material as fertilizer very well. Uh, and so... You know, just imagine, you know, Edo Castle is not literally on fire, but it's, it might as well be on fire. The guys are, know that they're going to lose their jobs. But still, they intervene and tell the night soil brokers, okay, you guys, knock it off. Use the, the larger buckets as you had before. Don't raise prices. This is terrible. You must not do this. It's like one of the last official acts of the Tokugawa shogunate before it collapses is, 
don't overcharge people for poop. Um, though actually, you know, the economist, I'm not really an economist, but the economic historian in me thinks that it was all quite logical because the population of Edo, which had been over a million, dropped by almost half uh, in the early and mid-1860s. Uh, because people knew that the regime was going to, to fail. And so by the time the protests occurred in 1867, there were actually maybe only half a million people living uh, in Edo. So, you know, the rule of supply and demand would dictate that actually the price should go up, uh, and probably the, the brokers were doing the best uh, to keep the price rise uh, to a minimum. But people didn't think in such terms. They thought, I need my poop, and I need it cheap, uh, and I need it now. But just to give you a, a sense of how urgent uh, the issue was and how important night soil was uh, in the eyes of the authorities, uh, I just um, this is um, you know, basically a couple of random pages from a book that was published by the Setagaya Ward Historical Museum. Setagaya is one of the, the wards, uh, 23 wards of Tokyo. And it's about a 400-page book that is nothing but reprinted, um, transcribed, and reprinted uh, contracts for the sale. Oops, sorry. <laughs> I accidentally hit this. Sorry. Um, anyway, the, the book is uh, transcribed contracts uh, for the sale of night soil. 400 pages of them uh, that, that the archivists at the museum happened to find uh, just within uh, Setagaya Ward. Um, the, I won't go into the contracts themselves, uh, except to say that the villagers, at, you know, at the time it was uh, an area of, of villages a few miles outside the main part of Tokyo and you can see of Edo and you can see the kinds of uh, the number and range of uh, urban dwellers with which uh, these people had contracts. Usually uh, most of the ones that I looked at had uh, in the survey that I'll show you once I get back to the page um, uh, had uh, anywhere from one to nine households that they had contracts with. Uh, the people that they were uh, collecting poop from lived in some of the most expensive uh, residential and commercial areas of Tokyo now, Aoyama, Azabu, and Akasaka, about four to six miles from the village of Taishido. Um, but the reason that we know this is that the shogunate, again, the collapsing shogunate, sent men out to do surveys of villages throughout the hinterland of Edo to try to figure out what the market looked like uh, as they were preparing to intervene in the price dispute. So this was collected in the ninth month of 1867, you know, again, just uh, a few weeks before the collapse of the regime. So um, thanks to the workings of this excremental economy uh, in late Tokugawa, Japan, major Japanese cities were blessed with uh, what uh, environmental historians like to call a perfect resource cycle, waste not, want not. Poop goes into the earth, daikon come out, and I'll let you imagine the processes that are in, at work. Um, these are nerima daikon, uh, which is a variety of daikon radish uh, that was uh, developed. It, nerima is also part of Tokyo. Uh, basically, the market for nerima daikon was created by the development of the excremental economy. And as a result of this, um, the city of Edo uh, was probably about as green as uh, pre-modern, pre-industrial, or any cities uh, get, uh, compared to um, other cities uh, at the same time around the world 
uh, there was much less in the way of human waste that was around because uh, it was so valuable that uh, people were uh, selling it rather than just uh, throwing it into the water or on the street. As a result, um, nowadays, lots of people like to point to Edo as uh, a particularly you know, green city uh, and think of, it, think of its greenness as the result of an intention to be green. This quote is from a book entitled The Edo Inheritance uh, by Tokugawa Tsunenari. Uh, and he has a line that I quote here, the strong interest in sanitation was a trait shared by the entire population of Tokugawa Japan. Edo was the cleanest city in Japan, the cleanest nation in the world between 1600 and 1800. Uh, Tokugawa is not a common surname in Japan today. If you meet somebody named Tokugawa, you know that they are related either to the main shogunal house or one of the three branch families of the Tokugawa house. Uh, and I happen to be fortunate enough to have met Mr. Tokugawa Tsunenari once. Uh, if there were still a shogunate, he would be the current shogun of Japan. And I was so... <laughs> <laughs> and I asked him if people freak out when they hear his name, and he said that you know some people either people freak out completely as I had, or it just doesn't register at all. <laughs> but please, if if you remember nothing from this talk, next time you meet Mr. or Ms. Tokugawa, please make a show of freaking out if if it's even if your heart isn't really in it because it's it's royalty, I guess. Um, anyway, I. <laughs> That's neither here nor there, though. Anyway, so he wrote a book about how great the Tokugawa period was, and one of the two things about the Tokugawa period that he thought was particularly great was uh, the sort of what he thinks of as an ecological sensibility. The other was that it was a time of peace. Uh, and he's certainly right about the time of peace in general, uh, and probably he's right that Edo was the cleanest city in Japan, the cleanest nation in the world, uh, at least uh, of comparable... Well, okay, well, I'll just give that to him. In the world between 1600 and 1800. Whether that was uh, intentional or not, uh, we'll have to think about. But anyway, it's not just Mr. Tokugawa. Uh, right now, if you go to any books, major bookstore in Japan, you can easily find lots of books that sort of make the argument that Edo equals sort of ecologically um, advanced. So all of these books. Because there wasn't a lot of poop underfoot, basically. And sure enough, um, I mean, if you had to choose between going back in time, would you rather go here to Edo or here to uh, New York uh, around 1870? This is probably a bit of an exaggeration, uh, but uh, even in 1825, when the city of New York was tiny compared to what it was in 1870, uh, the horses of Manhattan produced more than 10,000 pounds of manure every single day. And not all of it was cleaned up. Uh, so even before you get to the people, just imagine what uh, someplace like New York was like. So Edo was pretty good. So, okay, Edo green, uh, other places brown. How Japanese is our story so far? So one question is, was the excremental economy just a product of uh, happy happenstance? Uh, Edo was surrounded by lots of rivers uh, and uh, good water. So there were lots of supplies of fresh water. 
uh, and it was very easy to get the poop uh, from the city into the hinterland uh, through rivers and canals uh, and things of that sort. Um, and then people were uh, in the villages were eager to use night soil as a fertilizer. Uh, so maybe it was just coincidental, uh, or maybe there was something deeper in the culture that supported uh, the Japanese people's apparently special relationship with excrement. Uh, and so let's consider that possibility. In English, we have lots of words for poop. Uh, I'm sure you know uh, many of them. Uh, I've listed a few here. Excrement, feces, ordure, crap, poop. Number two, shit, stool, manure, guano, scat, droppings, dung. Uh, and in fact, the Oxford English Dictionary, um, as you can see, uh, lists 50 different terms for feces, um, including fime, hinder droppings, Fex, siege, and pilgrim salve. Um, I don't know. There's probably an interesting story behind that one. And in Japanese, too, there are uh, various words uh, for poop. Uh, shinyo, funyo, haisetsubutsu, um, kuso, uh, which is the closest to the English word shit, I think. Unchi, which is more of a poopy word. Uh, unko, kind of poop with an edge. Um, <laughs> ben, more clinical. Uh, fun, animal. Uh, poop, uh, and so on. But for our purposes, the two key words uh, are night soil and waste. Uh, night soil is a term I've been using a lot. Night soil is excrement as a commodity that is distributed from the city to its hinterland as a fertilizer. And so as a commodity, night soil is an object of util utility and hence a thing of value. Night soil is good. Waste is the opposite of night soil. Um, it's excrement as a public nuisance or a health hazard, uh, unwanted and valueless sewage in urgent need of disposal. So in Japanese, uh, night soil, there are various ways to refer to night soil, but the most common word is shimogoe. Uh, shimo is the lower reaches. Goe or koe is fertilizer. Uh, so it's a word that clearly connotes the fertilizing powers of uh, human excrement. But there's nothing quite like waste. Um, there's no single euphemism uh, that has the power and reach of the English word waste, uh, I think. The closest thing I could come up with uh, is obutsu, uh, dirty things or filthy things. But that's not a term that you hear much in everyday uh, conversation. Haisetsubutsu is um, sort of excreta. Uh, but again, it's not, doesn't quite have uh, the reach of waste. In the linguistic um, part of the story, um, I've written about this uh, before. This is, I think, the one part I'm, I'm filching from a published article uh, is about the use of language. Um, so looking at this, uh, this uh, quotation, uh, just reading it, uh, it looks like it says, And this is a quotation from Miyazaki Asusada's uh, The Agricultural Compendium, one of the earliest uh, agricultural manuals published in Japan, uh, dating from 1697. And so if you just see the characters and you translate it straight up, uh, it comes out to something like, The superior farmer values shit as he values gold. 
And here's the character for shit. So, and so uh, anyone who sees this character uh, reading Japanese now uh, will unproblematically read it kso or fun, which is the um, onyomi of the same character. But actually, uh, Miyazaki glosses the character not as kso, but rather as koe, or fertilizer. And he does this throughout the whole text. And he, the character comes up quite a lot uh, in the text. So instead of the superior farmer values shit as he values gold, it's the superior farmer values fertilizer, koe, as he values gold. In other words, in Miyazaki's writing and writings, and in the writings of other uh, people who produced agricultural manuals during the Tokugawa period, the idea of shit, the sort of kso or koe, uh, is actually a very capacious category. It's not just excrement, but really anything that fattens the land, that makes it richer, uh, koe, uh, is shit. And therefore, all shit is useful and uh, good. Uh, and so when I wrote an article uh, about the history of shit, mostly in the Tokugawa period, uh, I really focused on this point quite a lot. And I was felt very proud of myself for identifying the key thing about Japanese poop that made it different from all other poop, and that is it's not waste, it's a thing of utility. Shit is good because uh, it's a thing of utility. And so a few years ago, I would have thanked you for your attention, walked out of the room in triumph, uh, or taken questions, and then walked out of the room in, in triumph, having made my point about the uniqueness uh, and the unique value of thinking about poop in Japanese history. But alas, uh, the problem about not just stopping and declaring victory, but continuing to do more study, is that I've realized that uh, the idea that the Japanese had a unique view of human excrement as a thing of value and utility uh, is insupportable. Farmers in early modern China uh, also were told to treasure night soil as if it were gold. Um, I don't think that, I, I haven't been able to find that Miyazaki Asada actually took that line from uh, a Ming period agricultural manual, but uh, there were people writing before him in China who had exactly the same uh, sentiment. Uh, and then uh, the more I've looked into this topic, I've realized that lots of people value night soil uh, well away from China and Japan and throughout or East Asia. The term night soil, uh, of course, is in English, uh, and it's been around since at least 1725. That's the oldest uh, attestation in the Oxford English Dictionary. And then uh, also the use of waste as a euphemism for excrement uh, is also uh, first attested only in 1836 uh, in uh, the OED. So that's still 200 years ago, but uh, waste as a euphemism for poop is a relatively recent idea, and night soil as a concept has been around for at least 300 years uh, in English. So, oh crap, uh, excrement isn't the answer after all. But I won't, I won't quite say that. Let me um, uh, spend the rest of my time giving a few examples of the ways that about thinking with excrement can give us a new view of the 19th century in Japan. Uh, and perhaps the world, or at least the world of waste studies, which is, or critical waste studies, which um, is a thing. I'm not making this up. Let me start, um, and since this is a talk about the Meiji, uh, or 
a talk in a series commemorating the 150th anniversary of the Meiji period, uh, and no talk about uh, early Meiji would be complete without a reference to the Iwakura mission, um, which I think probably most of you know, uh, most of the leading members of the Japanese government uh, went on a road trip around the world for about 18 months from uh, 1871 to 1873, uh, leaving a group, a caretaker government uh, in place, asking them very nicely before they left, please don't do anything big while we're gone. Oh, no, we won't do anything big. And then they proceed almost invade Korea and do other things like that. Um, but anyway, we won't worry about that. We'll just worry about what uh, the members of the Iwakura mission saw when they visited uh, the sewers of Paris and London uh, in 1873. And these were the state-of-the-art sewers uh, at the time. So in the official record uh, of the Iwakura, Iwakura mission, they, referring to Paris, they do uh, note that the sewers constitute one of the most awe-inspiring sites of Paris. Uh, and in those days, it was possible to go on a tour of the Paris sewers uh, through the canals that carried uh, water and, and other stuff bobbing in the water uh, through like boat tours through these canals of the sewers. Now you can still go to the Paris sewers, but they won't let you ride around uh, in boats on them. So they did the they did the full tour, and they said, "Whoa, it, it didn't smell as bad as we thought. It wasn't pleasant, but but we got through it okay, and it was really really impressive." But you know, so as infrastructure was very impressive, but it was also very puzzling. So as you can see in the second quote. Um, referring to London uh, and Britain, the soil in Britain is not fertile, uh, and great efforts must be made to promote agriculture with 20 million tons of guano, that is bird poop, imported from each year from Peru. And so, like, why are you importing 20 million tons of guano and flushing 20 million tons or more of human waste, human uh, excrement, uh, down the, like literally flushing it down the toilet. It just seemed like such a strange thing. Uh, and then the other thing that they noted was that people in uh, Western Europe and in Britain knew that uh, night soil was a valuable fertilizer, and they knew that people in East Asia and China and Japan made good use of night soil. So it wasn't as if they were ignorant, uh, that they were sort of willfully getting rid of uh, the night soil that they might have used as a fertilizer. Um, and so they, they noted that like, one of the things about Japan that uh, European scientists knew about and admired uh, was the effective use of night soil as a fertilizer. And this is true. Uh, throughout the early part of the 19th century, lots of uh, public health people and scientists, uh, chem chemists, uh, noted uh, and promoted uh, the idea of using night soil uh, as a fertilizer. So, for example, uh, the British uh, chemist uh, wrote that uh, J.L.W. Uh, Thudicum wrote in 1863 that each chamber pot was a penny savings bank and that people could only make good use uh, of their excrement uh, and sell it as it was sold uh, in the cities of Japan, then not only would the poor in England be better off, but uh, Britain as a whole would prosper. 
Uh, and even in, in 1799, uh, an agricultural manual published uh, in Britain noted uh, the value of night soil uh, and wrote, uh, the author wrote um, the highlighted areas here, uh, that in China and Japan, we are told, the laws prohibit the waste or neglect of human excrements. That's actually not true. Um, I don't think, at least in Japan, there was never any law uh, dealing with the use of human excrement. But the basic idea uh, is very clear. And this author, as you can see also uh, in the quote, thought it was really great because unlike a horse or a cattle manure, uh, there were no seeds uh, in human waste. And therefore, using it as a fertilizer meant that you wouldn't have all kinds of weeds growing out um, of the poop. So why not? Uh, so, as I said, lots of people uh, in Europe were very highly consciously aware of the value of night soil uh, as a fertilizer, and there were many, many different schemes uh, concocted to try to make, uh, to, to make it a commercial product, or even, if not a commercial product, just a viable product to be used uh, on a large scale as fertilizer. Uh, but there were infrastructural problems uh, in the cities of uh, Britain and Western Europe that made it uh, more or less uh, impossible. Um, so in 1858, uh, the thing that prompted the city of London to build its state-of-the-art sewer system uh, was an event called the Great Stink of London in which the, the Thames River smelled so bad that Parliament had to close because uh, the, power, the powerful smell was overwhelming uh, and people thought uh, that they were going to die because they also were concerned that not only was poop yucky, but... Um, the smell of excrement itself, the air that bore the smell, was a kind of miasma that could cause a serious disease. Uh, and so it was a, a huge public health crisis. And then also there was a problem of cholera, uh, and there were a wave of cholera epidemics that hit uh, cities like London uh, in the latter, mid to latter part of the 19th century. And so there were uh, lots of reasons why it was difficult uh, to monetize or commercialize night soil within uh, the cities of Western Europe. Uh, and then the discovery and exploitation of uh, large-scale uh, sources of cheap guano, uh, first in Peru and other parts of South America, and then eventually into the Pacific. Uh, and after that, the, dis the invention of the flush toilet uh, basically ended any hope of using night soil on a large scale as a fertilizer uh, in the cities of Europe, um, and also in North America as well. Um, and the, to answer the Iwakura Mission's question, why use guano if you have people pooping, said so guano is very highly concentrated, uh, sort of uh, mineralized uh, bird excrement uh, that just packs a much more powerful fertilizing punch than people's excrement. So... Um, so long as it was relatively cheap, uh, it was uh, more effective and therefore cost-effective to use guano rather than human poop. Anyway, as a result of this, um, though the puzzlement uh, faced by the Iwakura mission men uh, and the attractions of uh, night soil as uh, a fertilizer meant that although when they came back uh, in 1873 uh, or even starting before that, uh, although the surface of Tokyo, the, the infrastructure of Tokyo began, and other Japanese cities began changing 
quite rapidly uh, right after the major restoration, the idea that having uh, Western-style buildings, Western-style schools, Western-style hospitals, Western-style military installations would help Japan become uh, modern, and a modern Japan could therefore keep itself free from the threat of Western imperialism. There was no talk, no thought of building uh, Western-style sewer systems uh, in Tokyo or other Japanese cities until much, much later. Um, so here we have uh, the so-called Ginza Brick Town, uh, the first large-scale uh, brick uh, architecture in Tokyo, uh, started, as I said, very soon after the Meiji Restoration, uh, but no sewers uh, running underneath uh, or even planned. Uh, and it wasn't really until the early 20th century that the idea of building Western South sewers uh, emerged uh, in the cities of Japan. This uh, is the former Mikawashima pumping station, uh, which was um, built uh, in 1915 uh, and went fully online in 1922. That was the first sanitary sewer in Japan. And it served only a very small part of the city of Tokyo. One of the interesting things that I found in my research on the history of poop in Tokyo is that um, although there were several pretty serious cholera epidemics in Japan, uh, starting a little bit before the Meiji Restoration and then continuing up through the latter part of the 19th century, the cholera epidemics, which were so terrifying in London uh, and uh, helped to spur the development of sanitary sewers and flush toilets and things like that, never had that kind of effect in Japan. So uh, in the uh, Tokyo City Council uh, in the 1880s, uh, after, uh, not too long after a major cholera epidemic, there was a debate about uh, changing the rules under which night soil men could carry buckets of human waste through the streets of Tokyo. Uh, and when I saw that, I thought, okay, here, they're reacting to cholera. Um, First, they say, no, no, you cannot carry night soil through the cities during the day. It's night soil, do it at night. But then uh, the night soil brokers protested, saying that they wouldn't be able to get it out to the countryside. Uh, it's not practical just to carry it at night. Uh, and so then the city council said, okay, okay, fine, fine. You can carry it during the day, but you have to cover the buckets. Please. Um, and so they eventually settled uh, on that. But why did they cover the buckets? because they were afraid of, of little critters that caused cholera to be popping out? No, because they thought that Westerners who could now live in the city of Tokyo would be grossed out by the sight of men carrying open containers of human waste through the streets of the city, which maybe is true, I don't know, but um, it had nothing to do with the threat of disease or public health. And in fact, they had no idea that at about the same time, Western visitors to Japan were saying, wow, the streets are so clean. They had these big receptacles where people put all kinds of, of, um, of waste products, including excrement. But uh, otherwise, it's really nice. It's way better than New York or London or other cities. Uh, so actually, probably the, the city fathers were overreacting uh, about the gross factor of night soil buckets. But... They, anyway, the, the point is that they were not at all concerned about disease. And I think that this is because um, within uh, Japanese understandings of disease etiology at the time, the idea that bad smells born on or miasmas, these sort of noxious gases as a, as a source of disease, was just not part 
of the Japanese uh, understanding of how disease was caused. So in writings about excrement during the Tokugawa period, you see, and the Meiji period, you see lots of people saying that, that poop is dirty, it's gross, it's disgusting, keep it away from me. But the idea that it's dangerous per se, not just gross, but actually dangerous, that it might kill you, is not something that I see in uh, the literature at all, even in the face of cholera epidemics. Uh, and you know, one of the, the symptoms of cholera is violent uh, diarrhea. And so during cholera epidemics, night soil men would stay away from the city, uh, but they weren't staying away because they were afraid of collecting tainted poop, but rather because they were afraid that if they went into the city that they would get the disease. And they were probably right about that. Um, so the, the connection between excrement and disease was not really there. And even in the 1920s, when the bacteriological theory of disease was as widely accepted in Japan as it was anywhere else, um, I've seen things like um, manuals distributed by the city of Tokyo out to all Tokyo residents. Uh, and one of the, like, the, the little pamphlet that I read was called Onatsu um, no uh, Soji, so like, um, you know, keep, like keeping the house clean in the summer. And it's got lots of pointers. Um, and the whole thing is obsessed with flies. And it says there are seven different types of fly in the city of Tokyo, and flies are dirty, flies are disgusting, flies can cause disease. And so if you have uh, chamber pots uh, or uh, a non-flush toilet, cover the toilet because flies will breed in the toilet, but not a word about uh, the contents of the toilet being dangerous or even particularly dirty at all. So this is something that seems to have continued uh, throughout uh, well into the 20th century. Uh, even though there were people within Japan, scientists, public health experts, who did know, of course, a lot about uh, the kinds of critters that can live uh, in human waste. So let me wrap up. Um, the question was how green was my night soil, after all? So I think it is... Uh, safe to say that Edo and Tokyo were indeed greener than cities in Europe and the United States uh, in the pre-industrial period and up through the 19th and early 20th centuries. So that's a win for Japan. But Mr. Tokugawa is wrong when he says that the strong interest in sanitation was a trait shared by the entire population of Tokugawa, Japan. The word sanitation had not been invented in Tokugawa, Japan, and the idea of sanitation per se, I think, was just not something that was on people's radar. So if Edo was a, a green city, an echo zone where people lived in salubrious harmony with nature, that was just a, a lucky break for the city of Tokyo and not uh, anything essential in Japanese culture. So that's kind of a bummer for me, but... Um, rather than look for an essentially Japanese sensibility about night soil, I think uh, that the value of looking at the history of uh, excrement in Japan is that it does open up other features of 19th century Japanese society that maybe uh, run against the grain of a less developed Japan sort of uh, modeling itself on or imitating uh, the West. So infrastructure, I mentioned uh, the slowness to develop sanitary sewers because they weren't seen as necessary. Uh, it makes Tokyo in the 19th century uh, look a bit different, uh, especially since the temptation to say that there were no sewers because Japan was backward is very strong. 
say there were no sewers because they had better use for the stuff that go into sewers, then Japan looks uh, more advanced. Uh, and likewise, with public health, although probably it's good to know about the bacteria and other things that can live in excrement, uh, not being afraid of stinky smells and not having the public health consequences of a fear of stinky smells for their own sake uh, is also an area in which the kind of usual um, dichotomy of advanced West and backward Japan just don't uh, hold up at all. And so uh, I think rather than uh, focus on the uniqueness of the Japanese attitude toward poop, I think my answer to the first questions uh, about what's Japanese and what's universal about my story would then come back to uh, issues of it being advanced and being backward uh, in the course of the 19th century. So with that, I will stop um, and thank you for your attention. Yes. Yeah. Can I preface it with two things? Yep. I'm thrilled that you're giving this talk here in a building that has a compost. Yes, I noticed. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to think of a way to work it in. Yes, but thank you. Yes. Yeah. And I come from a community where we rely on well water, and uh -huh. uh, a lot of people have composting toilets. Lots of people use the human manure handbook and follow it to create use um, poop for their garden, essentially. Yeah. But it has to go through a process where you can just cast it on your yes. garden. Yeah. And so um, can you talk a bit more about what happened between the potty and the Neyma daikon in terms of yeah. moving it out to the countryside and how that was actually processed before it was made into fertilizer? Yes. So um, one of the interesting things about reading the agricultural manuals uh, from the Tokugawa period is that they don't dwell too much on the, process, the, on the curing of uh, poop. Um, you know, they go into anal detail about all kinds of other things, but they sort of seem to take it for granted that their farmers will know what to do with this stuff. Um, so, uh, and that's kind of an interesting feature of it. But basically, people would have uh, pits, uh, and then they would put the, the um, excrement into a pit uh, and um, cover it with other sort of uh, like grass and things like that uh, and let it cure. I've seen um, in some texts, uh, References to a few weeks, but others to you know, six months or more. Uh, and I think the key thing there is that if it's cured long enough, the harmful bacteria will die, um, and then you can use it as a fertilizer without endangering your health. The, but because people weren't afraid of it as a public health issue at the time, uh, the rationale I've seen for not, in the um, agricultural manuals, for not applying it directly uh, to plants is that it's so potent at that point that it'll kill the plants. They'll get like they'll overdose on on the good nutrients uh, in night soil, and therefore it's very important to let it cure for a while and then apply it. Yeah. I would like to know, however, like if there was a particular class that was handling the poop and, there was, and therefore it was not really um, a health issue because like Kimi or Heta were taking care of it, 
and therefore like they not counting very much on society, um, whatever happened to them was kind of less uh, important. And that's an idea that I have, but maybe you can elucidate me on that. Thank you. Yeah, so uh, thank you for that question. Uh, that's, it's actually a very uh, interesting point. When I uh, first started working on this, I assumed that because excrement is dirty that uh, people, uh, outcasts, um, might be the ones tasked to deal with it. Uh, in early modern Japan, you know, maybe 3% of the population belonged to uh, various outcast groups who, were, uh, who dealt with, some of whom dealt with things like uh, the carcasses of dead animals or, and other things that were uh, thought to be polluting. But actually, uh, although, um, as I said, everyone thought that excrement was kind of disgusting, it was not uh, a status, there was no status connection between collecting night soil and, um, uh, and outcast status. So that um, I've never seen any mention of outcasts being the ones tasked uh, with dealing with excrement. The only exception uh, is in Osaka. Uh, the, the, the main community of outcasts there was a, a community called uh, Watanabe Village. Uh, and in 1776, um, the elders of Watanabe Village were rewarded for having helped put out a big fire in the city of Osaka by getting a monopoly on the urinals that were placed uh, on the streets uh, in Osaka. Uh, so it wasn't that the outcasts were being punished by having to deal with urine, but rather were rewarded by getting access to urine, which they were then able to sell as a fertilizer. I also looked at uh, late 19th century um, sort of muckraking, uh, appropriately enough, muckraking uh, journalism uh, uh, accounts of the slums of Tokyo. Uh, and um, um, now I'm forgetting the title, but the, the most famous of such accounts has this long list of the different things that people who live in the slums do, and Night Soil Man is not listed among them. Um, Oh, yes. Uh, yeah. Because when uh, Japan uh, made this as an industry, yeah. but who had a right to collect and to sell? And of course, a shogunate had the control. But the kind of little about the history, if you can give us some information. Yes. Uh, so most of the people who, who lived in, the commoners who lived in Edo lived in. Um, sort of like tenement apartment buildings, uh, and the, the landlord owned uh, the poop. Uh, and so um, it said that often the income from the sale of the night soil was greater than um, the income from the rent collected. Uh, in Osaka, uh, so for various reasons, urine was not a major uh, fertilizer used in the Edo area. Um, and so um, people weren't interested in, in urine. In Osaka, where urine was used, um, excrement belonged to the landlord, but the urine belonged to the, the producer of the urine. So uh, tenants could sell their urine, uh, but their landlord would get the money from the poop. Um, one of the, uh, again, from an economic history standpoint, one of the, the strange things about the excremental economy was that it simultaneously existed as a barter economy and as a, as a 
cash economy. So that um, some farmers had relationships with uh, land uh, homeowners uh, or like uh, landlords or with samurai who lived in uh, their own uh, samurai districts. Uh, and they would have, um, they would exchange vegetables uh, for poop. Uh, but at the same time, there were also brokers who, or farmers who would pay cash um, and uh, make like three-year contracts to collect all the poop from, uh, say, a, a low-ranking samurai household in exchange for, um, you know, X amount of money. Like one contract that I've uh, seen is uh, with a Hatamoto, uh, so you know, a fairly high-ranking uh, retainer of the shogun who lived in what's now the eastern part of uh, Tokyo, uh, who gave a three-year contract for 25 yo, which is you know, quite a bit of money, um, uh, to a farmer. But because we don't know the number of people in his household, we don't know how much you know, per capita that came out to be, but, but it, was, it was quite expensive. Uh, and then there were also brokers who would who would buy from the producers and then resell to, in the 20th century, that was very common, to professional uh, poop brokers or urine brokers in uh, Osaka. Thank you. That was great. Um, I have heard Mr. Tobogawa speak about how wonderful, I'm sorry, about how wonderful his family's period was. Yes. Uh, I have not actually been able to get through the whole book. Um, but uh, I imagine the sanitation argument yeah. also kind of links to Ofuro or Osento or, uh, you know, the bathing tradition. Is that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yes, of course. So that... Um, so he connects it, and I think people, others who write in the sort of Echo Edo uh, mode also, you know, Japanese people are very hygienic, they're very clean, they love to take baths, uh, and they want to live in a, gr a green and beautiful city. Uh, and um, and so on the, on the face of it, you know, it's a, a very uh, attractive and, and persuasive argument. Um, Though I think, um, and I haven't really looked into the bathing tradition. Um, uh, probably the 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 wind would go to Japan in terms of like personal cleanliness um, in the pre-industrial period, um, but still those sort of green results are quite different from green intentions. Um, another, this is sort of a a, a tangent. Um, a little bit of a tangent, I guess, uh, in terms of the way that the um, scholarly literature on the history of poop has developed in Japan. Because you know, there's so many, the, the scholarly tradition in Japan is so rich that there's something about, somebody's working on everything. It's, it's almost impossible to find a topic that no one's worked on. And I thought, oh, I got it, I got it. No, 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 there's a, a bunch of people who work on the history of poop. But one of the interesting things is that the, the people um, who work on night soil are, um, so economic historians, and they're interested in in the the commodity. So they don't. So they're interested in like the relationships between uh, landlords and brokers, or um, the prices of night soil, the disputes over night soil prices, that kind of thing. But they don't think too much about the, how that affected the city of Edo, for example. Uh, and then you have this other group of people who write on the history of Edo, much more commonly for a a popular audience, a general audience. I'm, I know that you know this. It's a, it's a really interesting phenomenon. So um, 
sort of non-professional historians uh, write about Edo, and then they, they're the ones who are the most inclined to engage in the fights of, of echo sensibility, um, like the slide of the book covers that I showed. Uh, whereas the, the professional historians tend to be economic historians who treat poop as a commodity just like any other commodity. And so I'm trying to get that sweet spot where you look at both. Uh, that'll be my contribution, I think. Yeah. Sweet spot the <laughs> uh, so if the, um, if the idea of sanitation was not in the, in the mind of um, the population, yeah. would, how about some versions of the idea of green then? Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, what, one of the difficulties faced by people who want to argue that um, Edo or that the Japanese had this sort of um, uniquely ecological um, attitude is that uh, urban archaeology of the city of Edo has discovered um, uh, or uncovered lots and lots of garbage. Uh, and then actually accounts of uh, regulations about dealing with garbage um, as opposed to excrement also show um, that people were, you know, like uh, people everywhere, I guess, if, if there's some uh, incentive, if they have some kind of incentive, um, in this case, you know, being able to sell the excrement, they'll, they'll take care of it. If there's no incentive, then they don't, then they'll, they'll be as wasteful as anyone. So, for example, um, uh, in samurai quarters, in samurai compounds, it was not unusual for people, for the samurai themselves, who, who did, the men living in these compounds, um, away from their families, you know, kind of in barracks, uh, didn't seem to be very interested in economizing. So, um, in the uh, when they dug up uh, the grounds of uh, the University of Tokyo campus in Tokyo, they found these garbage pits where men had just tossed away uh, sake and um, soy sauce containers. And the idea was, you know, these are ceramic. Containers, you're supposed to go and get them filled up at the sake store or at the shoyu or the soy sauce store, wherever, uh, and then reuse it. But because they, they weren't paying for them, they would empty the, they would drink the sake and then they would just toss the thing. It's like thousands upon thousands of pristine mint condition sake um, containers uncovered. Um, and then there are accounts of disputes between uh, samurai neighbors because one group of men would be throwing their garbage over the wall into the nearby compound. Um, and, um, and then regulations from the shogunate about um, garbage that could be used as landfill, saying, uh, you know, it's, it's strictly forbidden to just dump it anywhere. You're supposed to take it to Eitaijima, because actually a lot of Tokyo Bay is landfill, and it was built with garbage, among other things. But people were just dumping it into the water. So there's lots and lots of people evidence of people being very wasteful if they didn't have some kind of incentive um, not to be wasteful. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. It's a very interesting talk. Um, there are three groups uh, in this business of life historia. The people who produce uh, excrement and yeah. then uh, uh, farmers consume, consuming their, their products and then in between traders, the brokers. Yeah. Uh, my question is uh, regarding those brokers. Uh, that's a source of the income and kind of a right. So that they might have some 
forms of organizations called Nakama, mm -hmm. because they were under the control of the yeah. government. Uh, in the case, I, I, I'm not sure how they uh, divided up the Edo uh, uh, and city among themselves. And then, uh, only if they uh, had to pay some fees to the Tokugawa uh, government, uh, which was usually yeah. for the European yeah. annual donation yeah. and things like that. So, uh, how they uh, uh, run their network of, of trading yeah. in the city. Yeah. So, um, there were various mechanisms so um, and there was a, like a guild the the night soil guild um, in Osaka because urine was was um, uh, a valuable commodity there was a urine guild that was separate from the night soil guild um, and the guilds were kind of like um, associations of people engaged in the same trade they kept out um, other traders uh, they sort of monopolized the trade um, uh, and so they would, um, I think, still have uh, individual contracts with uh, landlords or, or with uh, samurai um, compounds, uh, and that the key point for them was the river port from which they operated. So they would get rights to haul night soil to a river port and then transport it on the river. Um, in the Meiji period, the night soil men owned the key men were the the key brokers were the men who owned the night soil boats, and there were thousands and thousands of these boats. You know, maybe uh, I mean, Tokyo was like a city of, of canals and rivers, the, the Venice of the East, it was called um, at one point. Uh, and a large percentage of the of the boats uh, working out of Tokyo were uh, night soil boats. And in those cases, the night soil boat owner would buy the night soil from whoever brought it to the river port and then resell it uh, on the other end. And so night soil boatmen were considered to be the, the most um, terrible scoundrels because they were the ones who were like watering it down and doing other things like that. And then they would bring back into the city the vegetables that were grown with the poop. Um, and um, so poop would go out, and then on the same boat, fresh vegetables ready for your salad for tonight. <laughs> we would be coming back. <laughs> yeah. Thank you very much. I get to wonder the uh, was the uh, the uh, uh, thank you. Night soil was only commodity to to uh, uh, manufacture uh, fertilizers at that time. I just started to wonder that the organic farming they use a lot of the compost or the, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. other the sources. I can imagine like you know fish, uh, the rotten fish yes. or the uh, the debris from uh, squeezing out the uh, the soy sauce. Yeah. <laughs> all that other commodities were not used for the farming. Oh yeah, uh, yes. That's a very good question. Yes, there were lots and lots of different types of fertilizer that were used, um, both in the Tokugawa period and then in the Meiji and, and beyond. Um, and in fact, my first book about uh, fishing in Hokkaido was mostly about uh, the, the fish that my fishermen in Hokkaido were, were catching. Herring were mostly used for fertilizer, actually. Um, so there were many different types of fertilizer. And the agricultural manuals that I mentioned have um, lots of information for farmers about what kinds of commercial fertilizer is best for what kinds of crops. Um, and so night soil was, um, as I mentioned, supposed to be especially good for 
like leafy vegetables or for daikon or for um, uh, watermelons or eggplants and things like that, uh, which tended to be produced in the largest quantities close to Edo or close to big cities. And so naito was relatively inexpensive uh, and was good, was thought to be particularly good for growing those sorts of crops. Um, fish meal um, or um, like whale bones and um, uh, and the just and the um, the the lees from pressing oil. There's just many many different types of fertilizer that were like some were good for rice, uh, others were good for other types of crops. Um, the same farmer might mix them. There, I found a, a recipe book that has uh, different combinations. Um, and then uh, horse manure, uh, cattle manure was also uh, good. Um, uh, muck from streams, uh, green manure from mountainsides. Um, so there are many, many different types of um, fertilizer. Um, and then, of course, in the late 19th and into the 20th century, then chemical fertilizers come in. Um, and so in, in the late 19th century, there were many chemists who were writing about the chemical qualities of excrement versus the chemical qualities of chemical fertilizers. Uh, and they were hoping to um, that people would, that farmers would use night soil rather than chemical fertilizers because they, they thought of the value of the chemicals in, rather than paying a lot of money for good chemicals, just use the chemicals that we produce in our own bodies. Um, but in the post-war period, then uh, chemical fertilizers uh, became much more popular and they're much stronger. And so now, except for a few organic farmers in Japan, no one uses night soap. They use um, chemical fertilizers. Uh, I was really curious about how you identified, uh, you identified the 1920s yeah. as, uh, or particularly 1920 as a time when you get the shift from people who get paid to them, them having to pay yeah, to get yeah. the, uh, their excrement taken away. Yeah. Um, do you see then, for example, citizens in Tokyo trying to get rid of their waste on their own and dumping them in the waters uh, or trying to get rid of them another way for not having yeah, to pay? Yeah. And, I'm just thinking what happens, for example, with like the Reykjavik earthquake and all this hysteria about Koreans poisoning the wells. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, does it get linked to this kind of um, idea about the vulnerability of infrastructure, particularly kind of water systems and so forth? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that's also a very good question. Thank you. Um, so in um, the materials that I've looked at, um, I haven't seen, uh, and I may be looking in the wrong place, and I, mostly I've been looking at earlier periods as well, so um, I may be speaking out of ignorance rather than uh, more than anything else. But in the, in the materials I've looked at, there hasn't been that much comment about people reacting or resisting the flip from um, being paid to uh, having to pay. Uh, it could be partly because um, tenants in apartment buildings weren't being paid anyway and they weren't the ones directly paying to have it hauled away anyway. So that that difference may have been uh, very keenly noticed by some part of the population, but not really didn't really matter to much of the population. Um, uh, and I haven't seen, and again, maybe I just haven't looked at anything related to the earthquake per se. Uh, I'll have to look into that. However, 
Uh, all that said, um, in, 19, in 1932, is it, uh, the city of Tokyo um, annexes a lot of the countryside around it uh, and becomes you know, almost doubles in land size. And so the, to the 23 wards of the area encompassed by the 23 wards of Tokyo is then born. Uh, so at the time of the annexation of all this extra land, uh, th there's a lot of farmland that's um, absorbed into the city. Uh, and a, a city official wrote a report about night soil. So this is in, like, he's writing in 1935 or 1936 uh, and talking about the circulation and, and all that uh, and the production, uh, so to speak. And he he decides that there are, what is it, like five million gallons of poop per day that is missing. I mean, just taking the number of people who are pooping and the amount of poop that's getting, uh, the city is now involved in overseeing the distribution. Uh, so it's something like five million gallons a day that's missing, uh, or maybe it's five million liters. Anyway, it's, it's quite a lot. Uh, you wouldn't want to be around it. Um, and he can't account for it um, at all. Uh, and, you know, maybe it's just because of book, uh, you know, record-keeping errors or whatnot. But it's also entirely possible that those are the people who say, I'm not going to pay to have this called up, right? Because um, they were doing it with garbage. They were doing it with other things. So why not do it with poop and just dump it into the water? Um, so that, that's the best I can find. Uh, so my question is, was there discrimination based on the source, uh, with certain uh, sources sort of uh, demanding higher prices based on the perceived quality? And if so, what is the criteria of this quality? Yeah. Uh, yes. So um, it was widely understood that the um, poop of uh, samurai, especially higher-ranking samurai, would be better and therefore command higher prices than of uh, commoners. Uh, it was also said that poop from uh, expensive brothels uh, would also be a very good quality. Um, and um, th that does seem to be, though, that uh, that there was a sense that the um, people who were richer produced, like, literally richer poop because they ate more protein. And the more protein in the diet, the better the fertilizing qualities. Uh, and so in, in the article I wrote, there's um, like a story about how you know, experienced night soil men could like, tell at a glance from the way that it was sort of bobbing in the, in the water, um, whether it was um, from a high-quality source or a low-quality source. Uh, and then in the late 19th century, when the, when the poop scientists got to work to examine and try to make the case for night soil, they also like, would collect uh, poop from... Uh, military barracks where men were being fed lots of animal protein uh, and um, like, uh, government workers' houses where people were you know, paid pretty well but not rich, and then from workers' districts um, where people were, were eating less well. And they, too, proved scientifically that the, the better the diet, the better the poop. Um, but I have, again, if, if there's time for one like weird um, anecdote that I don't um, have a definitive answer to, in 1872, I think, I'm, for a historian, I'm really bad with dates, so please forgive me, but sometime in the very early 1870s, 
shortly after the emperor moved from Kyoto to Tokyo, and he's in the imperial palace, um, the imperial household ministry sent out this notice uh, to the three prefectures that uh, once upon a time um, were situated right outside of this. They're all part of Tokyo now, but they were sort of outside of Tokyo. Uh, to prefectural officials saying, you know, for all this time, for a long time, this guy named um, uh, I forgot his name. Anyway, this guy had uh, a contract to empty the privies at the palace, at the Shogunal Castle, and the palace. But uh, we want to to spread the beneficence of uh, of the emperor imperial realm to all, and so you all in the prefectural offices, ask your farmers, and they can come to the imperial palace and collect the poop. And you think, you know, if anybody eats well, it's got to be the people living in the palace. And um, the answer from all three prefectures came back, and they said, no, we asked our, our villagers, and they said, thanks for the offer, but we're good. We're have as much as we can handle. Not a single person wanted to take up the offer of collecting the emperor's poop. Um, and it's so, I mean, from a rational point of view, it doesn't make any sense because the population of Tokyo had dropped so precipitously that there was, there was a poop shortage. Um, the city hadn't really recovered yet. So I assume it's that, yeah, a, like a daimyo's poop or a high-end uh, courtesan's poop, no problem, just mix it with the rest and it'll be fine. But if you got the His Majesty's poop, maybe you, I mean, what, what do you grow with His Majesty's poop? I, or how, how do you go, you know, do you have to wear, like, your best clothes? <laughs> yeah. So I assume, I, I mean, my, my guess is that it was something more along those lines that people are just, it wasn't worth the effort uh, or the anxiety. But um, one of the frustrating things about working with those sources is I found the inquiry, I found the answer. But then I'm, people are still there pooping every day, and, and I never found out what, what happened. Uh, I'll have to look into it some more. Yeah. Um, I'm just going back to trying to understand the difference between like China, Japan, mm -hmm. and Europe. Um, and as um, was mentioned, there, there were different, many different types of sources yeah. around the time, like in, in the other period. Yeah. And just wondering, was it like taboo to use human like salt for other countries? But you said that I think China, you know, it, the, the concept that it was gold yeah. Yeah. was was not new. So I'm just, um, I, I was wondering if you could tell me a yeah. little bit more about. Um, yeah, why, why there was such, it seems like, you know, you have all well, the quality of the food, yeah. and it's very, <laughs> so. Yeah, I think one, one issue in uh, the West was, aside from the, just the way that toilets were built and the way that um, cities were built, uh, part of the problem is the nature of agriculture in the areas close enough to the city to make it worthwhile, because um, hauling poop a long distance uh, can be expensive. Uh, and so if you're growing... Um, uh, I mean, so it may not have been worth it. Um, that's one issue. Uh, and the people were afraid of it uh, in its sort of raw form, and so that was another issue. So in um, the case of New York, for example, um, there was uh, a number of companies that were founded in the 
1830s and 1840s to try to solve that problem by drying and uh, drying human excrement and turning it into a kind of powder form called poudrette, which had been developed in, in France and used fairly widely in France, a kind of powdered form. Uh, and there were a number of companies that were founded um, in New Jersey and uh, in parts, other parts of New York State um, uh, that worked for a, a little while but then didn't succeed. So even there, I think, by the time it, it's powdered into this fine powder, it doesn't really look or smell at all like excrement anymore. So um, I think it was more a matter of it not being cost-effective. Uh, and then, of course, you also have many, many animals um, in, uh, in the, like uh, cattle and horses uh, that poop a lot more than people do um, and will poop on site uh, on the farm. Uh, and, of course... So people knew about the fertilizing properties uh, that they had. Um, in the United States, there wasn't much interest until much later, in the later part of the 19th century. Um, toward the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, there was a movement within the United States uh, near cities like Boston and um, in the Midwest to develop night soil, um, even though there was uh, flush toilets and things like that in many areas by that time. Um, and I think in the United States, it was... And probably, I don't know about Canada, but it probably would have been similar, that the population was, t the, uh, the population density wasn't high enough to make it worthwhile. Cities were smaller, and then the countryside was just not populated heavily enough to make good use of it. Yeah, thank you very much.